You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a collaborative platform where we share ideas and inspiration from some of the most successful tech leaders within the industry. I'm Lockie, a principal recruitment consultant here at Evolution, and I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'll be your host. Today, we're on the Evolution Exchange podcast, and we're going to discuss creating high performance teams. Uh, my name's Lachlan. I'm a recruitment consultant here at Evolution Australia, and I specialize in building out and retaining talent for technical companies. So I'll work my way around the panel guests. So Michael, if you could introduce yourself as well, and then followed by Crudy, and then Mike as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name's Michael uh, Zaporozhets. Um, I'm a software engineering manager at uh, Electronic Arts, um, working on Frostbite. Um, I've been software engineer my entire life. Uh, started off making MySpace layouts for bands and somehow fell into a career uh, building great products um, at a bunch of different places. Um, and yeah, now I'm responsible for making sure that other engineers um, have as good an experience as can possibly be. Yeah, awesome. Hey guys, I'm Kruti. I am a director at Slalom Built, and um, my background is mobile development. I've worked in mobile technology since like 15 years now, and at the same time, I've been CTO at a couple of companies prior to um, Slalom Built, and I have built in-house um, capability in these companies. So yeah, that's my background. Yeah, I'm Mike Berry. I'm currently working at the ANZ Bank and one of the uh, directors of engineering there. Interestingly enough, my current area is called compliance engineering. And so it's less spreadsheet compliance, more digital compliance and APIs is what we're building. And my background has a lot, really a lot to do with DevOps and those kinds of things and kind of working on the early parts of the pipeline. But now I'm also more software engineering and, and working on and UIs and APIs these days. But that's why I have a lot, lot of passion for things, all things DevOps and Lean and, and those kinds of things. And obviously today the topic is creating high-performance teams. So we will obviously follow what a high-performing team is, what makes up the attributes of a high-performing team, and also what isn't a high-performing team. So um, obviously I will start with you, Mike, in terms of what you've brought to the table. So what does it mean to be in a high-performing team and what are the key elements that make a high-performing team different? Yeah, I think there's so many things that you could list, but I'll just put it into two broad areas. I think the first area is trust. And so you have a team that they have this culture where they trust each other and they can rely on each other to get things done. And the other half of that is the results, that you you are not just a high-performing team because you love each other and you have morning teas of a different flavor each day. It's because you get the results. And so there's goals that you achieve regularly, but there's also a level of innovation that your team was able to push out and to continue to extend. And so I think those are really the two broad elements and, and they work together. So if you have a team that has this really good culture, that, that trust is usually um, referred to as psychological safety. And so everyone is feels free to make mistakes in the team that they can ask questions. They can say, hey, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then they can rely on other members of the team to say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I know about that and I can help you out. And then there's this kind of level of dependability that you know that, hey, if I ask you to do something, that you'll get it done and it'll it'll come back. And But also there's kind of that towards, I guess, the results part of it. The team have this structure. They know this is exactly what we're doing. Like This is the direction we're going. We know about the things that we are supposed to be doing. We know how we make decisions. And we all believe that we're, you know, we're doing the right thing and we have a real impact in it that our work delivers. And so I think those are a lot of the elements that come together to produce 
what we would call a, a kind of high-performing team. In terms of what I, I would say in that as well, um, this is uh, something that I, I see on more of a recruitment side. Does the technology need to be advanced for it to be a high-performing team? Um, because obviously we talk about moving away from legacy technology to new and cloud native technology as well. Can you still be a high-performing team on old, uh, you know, say, I guess, outdated and legacy technology itself? Um, absolutely. Um, I, I think it performance is about people. It's not so much about uh, the tech. Obviously, your output is going to be something that's uh, sort of relative to the business environment that you're in. Uh, but a lot of performance is actually about team health. And that's something that is agnostic to even the work and agnostic even to um, the industry. Um, so I would say that if you have really, really strong team health, um, that can shoot far above uh, in terms of performance, um, regardless of what kind of environment you're in. Okay, and then in terms of a high-performing team as well, uh, just to throw another question in the mix, do you think as well um, you would work more hours of the day or less hours of the day? Because everyone talks about working nine to five um, or working over hours as well. Do you think if your team is excelling, you know, obviously culturally, um, you know, emotionally and, and mentally as well as obviously creating code, do you tend to work more hours or less hours of the day? You know, how, how would you structure that? I don't know if that's a bit of a silly question, but do you think if everything's performing as optimal as possible, you would work you know, less hours of the day, or you would obviously contribute more and, and continue working and exceeding things ahead of time. Can I give it a go on this one? So yeah. firstly, first of all, I think gone are those days where it's like we expect perform, we compare performance with the amount of hours they put in. Firstly, yeah. so that's my point of view. Um, I think um, whether um, giving flexibility to the developer to work on their timing is the best approach in this case, especially when it comes to technology, because teams have their own way and timelines when they are working on. As far as work is done, it shouldn't matter how much time they have taken um, uh, in general. Like, of course, if they are taking months and months to build something, there is something to worry about. But high performing um, team member generally would get it done within the reasonable timeline um, because there are a lot of factors comes in picture. One of them is they might be more more focused and um, yeah, they might want to, they might implement it faster when if they are um, working in the nighttime when everything's super quiet and that's their environment to work. And we, as a company, we should be allowing them to do that as well because that is, that it's it's gone are those days that it's nine to five. So, yeah. yeah. yeah I think I agree very much that, you know, there's no points for sitting in the office and waiting until the boss goes home and then going, oh, now I can go home because I've been, present in a, a location for a certain amount of time, really we uh, ex expect things to be done. And sometimes that means that you're going to go off and uh, work during the normal hours and maybe you're going to work in the evening. And I think one of the functions as a manager is, is to make sure your team know that, hey, if you want to work in the evening and you want to keep working, then that's fine. But that's not an expectation that we have that, you know, you need to keep working long hours. But if it's, it's your choice because it works better for you because tomorrow you're starting a bit later, then that's great and, and go for it. Um, but to set the expectations that what we really, really care about is the, the things that we're getting done and what we're working towards. And I think for some teams that means there will be a long day occasionally because you really want to get this one thing done. 
Um, but that's not something that we do just because it's a it's a Tuesday. It's something you do because there's a real goal that you're working towards. I guess that mentality of becoming more delivery focused rather than, you know, hours build and sitting at the desk. Do you think that has changed a lot from, you know, pre-COVID when everyone was sitting in office and everyone could see what everyone was doing and obtaining, you know, how many lines of code they're writing or how many hours they spent out of the office towards now where everyone's working in a hybrid model and for majority of people fully remote. Do you think that expectation has changed and it's been a little bit more easier to adopt more of a delivery focus because you're not in the eye of, of everyone? I actually think that this predates um, like this this situation uh, by, by quite a long time. Actually, I think any any business uh, that you know aligns itself to an agile uh, you know planning approach at the very least um, empowers teams to set their own timelines, and that's all about providing, um, I guess, that ownership over the timeline to the team, so that. You know, if I if an engineer says that something's going to take three months, and um, you know, you might add a thirty percent buffer or whatever, <laughs> whatever you might do, um, you know, that's empowering that individual to basically say that this is how long or how much time I'm going to spend um, uh, reasonably uh, for myself to be able to accomplish this. It's not an arbitrary deadline. Um, and look, sometimes there are deadlines that aren't things that can be uh, owned by a particular individual or, or a team. But in those scenarios, that's up to the management and up to the business to ensure that the right amount of capacity is allocated to succeed against that goal. Um, and certainly never uh, creating an expectation of people having to work overtime to deliver against those goals. Um, that would be unsustainable and contrary to the you know idea of uh, having a performance and uh, you know, therefore a team with great team health. Just to build upon, uh, I guess that response, obviously, Crudy, um, the question that you brought was how to keep a high performing team in their flow state. Um, so, you know, how to keep them happy, working retained. Um, it's easy for them to lose their mojo as the times go on. Um, so if you could obviously contribute to that and then we'll work around the table as well. Yeah, so that's a very interesting question, right? We talked about it, touched on it a little bit just in the past previous question. But um, I think one of the main things where I've seen team performing really well is buying them into the company's goals and uh, mission. With the moment you do that, they understand where they are heading, what they want to do, and they you 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 in a way also bring more innovation in your team. They will come up with the ideas to achieve that goal as well and that they take it as an individual goal for themselves. This is the way, um, this is one of the best ways to, in my opinion, to build a high performing team because that gives them um, the push that they require. Um, most of the times when you feel that team is under the pump or team needs to uh, get motivated again, because it can happen. It could be COVID lockdowns too. It could be anything, right? And um, in those cases, making sure that you, um, as a management, connect with your people and do things like providing them games to play. So a lot of developers are nerdy about the board games and stuff like giving them opportunities to or breather to do that. Uh, those activities along with working on their project makes them motivated, feel good that they are cared for in the company and they will keep performing. So I think uh, 
when we talk about like say Google or Facebook or Twitter and their way of like motivating their teams in San Francisco, this is this is part of it. Um, I'm not saying to go that level of um, like perks for the team, but yeah, there is a there are ways to um, keep team motivated, and these are one of few of those basically. Yeah. And obviously we've touched on, you know, how to keep an engineering team in their flow state and, and how to create a high performance culture. Um, just to throw a little bit of a spinner in the works, I suppose, how, how do you create and sustain, you know, the high performing flow state, um, say after a leader has left? Um, so I know that I've been in roles myself and I'm only relatively young in my career, but, you know, once a leader has left, obviously the way that they lead and act and, and breathe and I guess influence the company culture and also obviously the team culture as well tends to change when someone new comes in and it's slowly adopted and it's hard to get back into that high performing state. Um, yeah, has anyone here obviously rebuilt after someone influential has left or, you know, what would you do to make sure that that's obviously possible to get back into that flow state? Look, I think there's there's definitely a responsibility for the business to make sure that um, that's managed properly. You know, um, if a leader is uh, leaving, um, the first thing that they need to do is make sure that you know whoever the people are that, that person is responsible for are going to be okay um, and are going to still have the right kind of support structure around them um, to provide continuity um, for that you know for that role that, that leader was uh, was was providing. Sometimes that is you know uh, bringing in a leader earlier um, in the process. Um, sometimes that is empowering you know certain people in the team who might be um, you know. Uh, in 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 a close to leadership position um, as well to be able to sort of provide that, but um, I definitely think that that's something that um, you know uh, management is responsible for ensuring um, you know I guess the continued ability for people to look up to to someone or get the right support that they need um, in in that event. And I yeah, think cool. it's, it's a good point, like to take that even further, because I think sometimes it's kind of thought of, oh, these people that are working together, we can just move them around and make another team here and there because we've got these capabilities we need and then we'll be able to deliver those capabilities. And then, oh, you know what, this has changed, so we'll move these people here and there. And it just doesn't work like that. That if you have these teams that we're talking about, these high-performing teams, they are that because it's taken them a period of time to get there. And like exactly what we're talking about with the flow that we, you need to kind of keep that as best as you can keep that together. And so I think if you change the leader, entirely possible for another great leader to come in and then keep that moving. But if you just, just start to move the team around and it's not the team anymore, it's just a team, um, I think it's very difficult to kind of keep that high performance and that momentum going because a lot of that effort it gets kind of redistributed and it, it's not, um, not not easy to keep that momentum going. And so I think there's kind of like this broad things that need to be in place. And one of them is to be able to protect the, the people. And so uh, I, you, you make changes as you do, but I think if you try to keep the changes small and kind of like once a quarter, like that's that's a reasonable way to kind of think about these things and, and to protect that, like, because so, it's so much effort to get it really working well. It's something you want to protect. Yeah, and, and I guess just to build upon that on myself, um, you know, from a recruitment angle, obviously we're tasked at finding very strategic engineers, whether it be technically, culturally, to rebuild and gel teams. Um, and I, what I've seen, you know, as things are evolved and culture has become you know, very prominent and everyone's looking after employee safety as well. How do you, I suppose, 
I'm not sure if this is the best way to put it, but how do you minimalize, you know, disrupting engineers, you know, people that maybe not fit the company culture as best as possible, but technically speaking, you know, they're there every time you need to deliver, you can count on them. How do you change the perceptions or at least influence them to get buy into the team when they're on their way out, if that makes sense? Good, <laughs> a good question. Um, I think, um, in my opinion, it's it comes down to uh, identifying it early enough. So you, one of the things that I've seen really working, and it applies to the previous question as well, where if you're bringing a new team member or if you're interviewing for the new team member who is going to work in the high-performing team and you're worried about that team getting disrupted with that, I've seen... I've been into interviews where I've been introduced to the team as well in those interview processes. And then I have um, gotten approval indirectly from the team that, yep, they and they liked me, they enjoyed uh, like meeting me, and that's why probably I will be perfectly fine with them working in the team. It does sound, um, it it is a bit out of the box sort of process. It's not very common, but I think it has definitely made me feel better as well as a leader when I'm I've gone into a completely new team to understand whether I want to work for them as well or work with them as well. So it's it's um it's one of those ways to make it work. But also I think uh, when you realize that um someone is not um, contributing well enough in the team. Um, I think it's also one of the reasons that's why we have probation periods, but at the same time, um, uh, that at the same time, it's also giving the feedback at the right time to that employee to make sure that we can try to mitigate the issues that may come up. But if it, it doesn't work, post that, I think making the decisions faster about what you need to do for the team is also, yeah. So these are a few, my ways of, yeah. So we've just spoken then, you know, how to, I guess, adapt to someone that may be disrupting the team. And then now we'll go to Michael um, to basically deep dive into the topic. You know, what isn't a high performing team? It may seem like a, t you know, a simple question itself or, or subject, um, but I'm sure it's not. And then obviously, what are the first areas that you would work on to improve the productivity of that team? Yeah, look, I mean, we could basically just invert a lot of our responses uh, so far um, to this, but I, I really want to hone in and uh, maybe reiterate uh, a point that I made earlier around, um, you know, we really need to be clear about the difference between productivity and performance. And I think this is a, a line that gets blurred probably a bit too often. The two are linked, uh, but you, like you know, the team's output is really only half the picture, um, if, if not, you know, less than that. Um, you know, you'll find that in a lot of environments, you know, people are still going to hit that or work to hit their commitments, even if like they're unhappy and even if they're in a poor working environment, you know, they feel obligated or stuck a lot of the time um, in those environments. And, you know, they'll do that until they either leave um, or, you know, stay in complacency, which is even worse um, a lot of the time. So I would say that, you know, teams with low team health, uh, but high levels of output are really non-performant um, because uh, what you're seeing there is people still doing their job because they're professional, uh, but their potential might be two to three times that that you're seeing. And because 
you know, like I mentioned, output is something that gets scaled relatively within a business. You know, if this is something that is consistent across a business because, you know, maybe there isn't that trust that we talked about or the right beliefs or company values or enough sort of uh, belief in the work uh, in individuals, you know, that, that just means that, um, you know, that team um, and all those teams are actually completely non-performant. They're just hitting this arbitrary mark, which is, you know, a you know rising tide that's set pretty low. Um, so, you know, um, that's that's really what, you know to me what a, what a really uh, what isn't a high-performing team. You know, to start there. You know, there's other things. Obviously, if you have some bad actors on uh, a team, um, they can often pull the entire team down. Um, and so sometimes, you know, it, it may be uh, something more pointed. Um, but I, I, I think more often than not, uh, it's more about, um, you know, teams that aren't high performant, are, are teams that don't have the right kind of, you know, like Kurti said, you know, kind of that North Star, that belief uh, in what they're doing, um, something that unifies them and rallies everyone towards a common vision. Um, and that's the kind of thing that motivates people and, um you know, yields performance uh, more often than not. Uh, in terms of like what what the first areas that you kind of work on to improve productivity in the team, this is kind of hard because it really depends. Like you join a team or you begin looking after a team, um, they they all have different you know different personalities, both on an individual level but also as a team. Um, you know, if you look at you know different teams uh, in a business, they have different strengths, uh, and that might be you know. Kind of organic based on where they are um and you know in, in what they're working on um but it might also be just the personality makeup in a particular team um or you know the uh, skills uh makeup in a particular team so the first thing i do is try to map that out uh you, you look at a team um that you know you feel might not be performing to their uh you know potential you try to build a gauge you know both at an individual level with everyone um you know try to you know figure out basically where those frictions might be or, or where there might be something that um you know quite horizontal that's pulling the team down because it's pretty rare that the individuals in the team um are all uh you know incapable of being performant together it's usually something that's quite horizontal and um you know you will learn pretty quickly um where those frictions are when you start talking to people and really diving into you know why people uh you know are less uh you know not hitting their own potential or uh, not you know hitting the expectations that the business might have um I might might pause there because I would love to hear what Critty and Mike have to say on this as well. So I think it's a really interesting topic because you could ask the question of like if this team is high performant and this team is not, how is that if if it's the same number of people they have the same tools like a lot of the same environment, and is it really a thing? And I think you have to understand well what's the difference, and I think. Some of the difference is because we, if we were just working on a production line and we were very sad that day, it's probably not going to be a lot slower. And I've, I've done that in a factory before. You could be sad that day and you can just have the same amount of productivity. Um, but when it's knowledge work, the it's really important to be able to understand context and to be able to understand direction and also to have um, uh, an understanding of how much cognitive load is on you. Because if you're really worried about how I'm perceived in this team, does, does everybody um, 
you know, if I have a, ask a question, are they all going to say, oh, this is the person that's causing us problems because this person doesn't know what's going on? And if you're really worried about those things, you're like, oh, maybe I can't ask a question. And, and we all know, like, if you've done troubleshooting and tech things, it can, it can be a really simple answer, but it could take you days if you don't find the right thing in the right space in the right time. And so it, it, this is not like a small difference. It's a big difference if you, if you don't feel comfortable in that team. And then um, the same thing can be like if you kind of don't really know exactly what you should be doing, the people can be building all different things and then you start to bring it back. Because if you're not talking to each other, when you bring it back together, you're like, oh, why were you doing that? I'm doing this. And so you can imagine it very it makes a very big difference about all these disparate things that people are doing. And so to be able to solve those things and to be able to remove some of those problems, it's kind of like a piece at a time. And to then Kruti talked a little bit about it, like to bring people together, even socially, um, to be able to do these kinds of activities is a really good way to start to resolve some of those concerns and to start build trust. Um, because it's not, by, by the way, high performing teams laugh a lot because um, they have fun together. And it, you're like, hey, what are you guys doing wasting time just chatting to each other and having fun? But look, we're not in the office that much anymore. So if you are, you probably should take some time out and talk to each other and have some fun and go grab coffees and whatever, because that, that is a, a mark of a high-performing team. It's not people with heads down doing work 24-7. Um, and, and the other problem we have, because we all want to build teams that are diverse, and guess what? Diverse teams don't necessarily love each other because they have really different things that they care about and the different people. But if they're a diverse, high-performing team, they have the same goal. And, and that's what kind of brings you together, that we like, we like what we do. We like being a team. We like working together. But one of us may go out and uh, do very different things in the weekend than others of us, and we're okay with that. And we like when we go to restaurants, we're always going to very different places because we like different things. Um, but that's okay. And I think to be able to in, encourage those things, there's a social element that you and kind of like this playfulness element that you, you have to kind of start working with and to make people more comfortable. On a social side, one, one example where um, one of the startups where I built in-house team, they asked the CEO of the company asked me that, why does your team every day, whole team goes out for lunch together? I don't like that because no one's in the team available for lunchtime when they are, if customer support or anyone needs them. And I was like, that that is one of the worst environment you want to build for your team. Let them go out for lunch together. What they talk about in lunch is mainly how to fix that bug they are stuck in or what feature they are working on, which is making them excited to work on the product or how they have solved a bug, whatever that is, they talk about that generally along with some personal elements. And that's what makes them a team when things go wrong and when they have to work at midnight or something, that's when these guys work together and help each other out. So high performing team has a massive social element with it. Um, they find their own ways to be social. It's not something where we have to always force into we can create events to figure out whether it helps them but um, most of the times they are adults they will find their own way as well but it's this is where I think um, understanding the social element is uh, super important. 
and obviously we've mentioned there that you know high performing teams culturally uh, you know they like to have fun they like to obviously laugh and, and stay at it and connected as a team um, h- how do you celebrate the wins when you're in such a dispersed team so obviously through I, I have to use COVID as an example it's the most recent thing in my mind but obviously when we're all isolated and particularly obviously Melbourne uh, did it very tough and you know there was no physical connection at all how did you celebrate team success or you know how do you celebrate and retain that social interaction when everyone's so dispersed and actually can't be physically connected I mean, it, it, again, um, every business is going to be different in, in this front. And um, I think it, it still shouldn't be that different to what you would do in uh, an in-person environment either. You know, it's, you know, feedback, um, you know, and, you know, celebrating wins. Um, you know, these are things that you do early and often um, and doing that, you know, remotely is kind of the same thing. Like, you, you know, you if it's in your daily stand-up or your daily sync or whatever, whatever you might do in terms of, uh, you know, your, your team sessions where you bring people together, you know, those are opportunities to, you know, celebrate, um, you know, anything that's that's worth um, celebrating. I'd say that maybe during the pandemic, uh, we tried to celebrate more, more often, um, especially knowing that, you know, some people, um, you know, had, less than ideal working in uh, working environments and you know maybe situations at home um, were also uh, you know lacking and um, you know I, I think if anything we're celebrating more uh, but that's not uh, something that's based on uh, whether you're at home or in the office I think that's something that's just you know again taking that sort of human element you know we kind of all want something positive. Um, and we definitely um, probably put the onus on managers uh, to make sure that um, the right amount of positivity is there uh, around the great things that our teams are doing. Just before we get on to the next set of questions as well, um, in a high performing team, do you think there has to be a balance between junior, uh, mid-level and lead, you know, senior engineers? Do you think there's an exact balance or there's a setup of a team that actually works best? Uh, I think research says no, actually, because yeah. yeah. the research is pretty clear on these are the things that, that do add up and there's some things that don't. And by the way, like tenure is not one of them. And so how long you've been in your role. So if you're, if you're, because by the way, there are teams like Netflix do this intentionally. They hire more senior engineers um, and it doesn't make a team better or worse, actually. Um, but just has a different flavor to how they like to run things. And so I think, look, naturally, People that are very experienced love to mentor. And so I think it makes sense to have a, a team that, that has different levels in it, um, but it's not a, a hard requirement. It's also about building in uh, like business continuity to some degree. You know, you want to make sure that you have junior people, especially if you're working in, you know, very specific skilled environments, um, you know, getting that person with the right skill set and, um, you know, with, uh, a, a good amount of knowledge in your field might not be always that easy. And so making sure that you hire you know, people that are junior um, is a really great way to ensure that, look, five years down the line, you're going to have those senior engineers that you might depend on today um, you know, for, for their sort of uh, higher skill set. Um, and the other thing is it's, you know, depending on your business, um, you know, you might feel, you know, a responsibility, uh, you know, as a, as, as a business to make sure that you're, 
you know, fostering that next generation of talent. And, um, you know, particularly, I think, from a diversity point of view, uh, there's a really, really huge um, onus on businesses, especially, um, you know, those uh, like tech businesses where, you know, diversity has been something that's uh, been a, a more difficult thing. Um, the best way to sort of fight that right now is to hire junior um, uh, women and people of, um, you know, other diverse backgrounds, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of programs now, there's a lot of uh, opportunities that have been created uh, at that junior level. And I mean, uh, at all levels, but there's definitely a lot of programs at the moment, like through Code Like a Girl, for instance, um, that create those pathways really early. And so that's another way that you can build a more diverse, uh, you know, talent pool and, and, and a more diverse uh, workforce uh, is by making sure that you're, you know, taking part in that. So now we've spoken about you know business continuity and and what sort of qualities you would look for, and that obviously brings us to the next question. You know, what qualities do we seek out when building such a team? You know, where do you start, and what do you avoid? I should say. I'll go for this. Um, I I I love people who are passionate about what they do. That's what makes me hire them first of all, because they are the ones who will who who will be easy to. Um, like just get into the uh, company's like code, whether it's code base or um, just the work, and they would be the ones who would be easily self-taught as well because they would dive into issues that they don't know and they will walk towards it. So I really love people who are passionate. At the same time, for me especially, I I like to hire people who uh, who uh, who bought into the company's vision as well, because it's really hard to um, like get someone who doesn't have the same values as the companies and then getting them um, to work on it. I would rather have someone who has similar values, who wants to work for the company, who has done enough research on the company before coming to the interview, stuff like that. So that's what I seek initially, especially into um, the newer talent that we hire. Um, with experienced people, I like to see um, their um, like attitude towards people who are not experienced. I like to see their attitude towards working and melting into different technologies and stuff like that. That's what I seek for generally. Um, at the same time, what they believe in in, uh, in terms of teams and team morale and stuff like that, that's where aptitude or their um, behavioral interviews come in picture, but that's all the things that I look for. Yeah, I think um, Karuti covered this a little bit, but uh, the the word I, I like to think about is kind of curiosity. And so the people that are interested in understanding more, but, and particularly really important in any industry, but for technology, it changes so rapidly and you kind of have to have this continuous effort to keep up. And, and so if you're really curious about how things work and you, you like to dig into things and understand more, that's one of the things that's really useful in my teams. Um, I think particularly because we're, we're always kind of pushing and doing innovative work and that sounds fun, but it can be really uncomfortable because you don't know ahead of time how it's going to turn out or is it going to be a disaster. It's, innovation works that way. You don't know ahead of time. And so you need those people that are flexible and willing to, to go with you and and to look to try and solve those solutions. And so for those people that kind of have a fixed mindset, they're like, oh, 
I do this programming language and I would like to do that and be really good at that thing for the next five years. I'm like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> because I can't guarantee you that, that it's certainly not for five years that something's going to happen. And so if you're really open and you're interested in, in new things and you're willing to take on new ideas, then you're a perfect person and, and that, that will be able to come in. Because, you know, we may be doing something you've never done before. That's fine. I don't need you to have experience in it. I need you to be interested in learning it. Yeah, awesome. And then obviously we've spoken about, you know, the qualities that we seek in terms of when building a team. Um, the, the main question, or I guess uh, what everyone wants to know is, how do you actually attract them and how do you actually retain these people? I mean, uh, there's a lot of different ways that businesses do this. Um, uh, I think culture is a really, really, really big one. Um, People buy into, um, you know, I want to work for this business, especially in tech where there was such a competitive environment for talent. Um, you know, co compensation is wild everywhere. You know, it's um, really more about buying into the work and buying into the mission, um, I think, especially in tech at the moment. Um, and so making sure that that is front and center and really obvious, I think, is is a really important part of it. Um, sort of how you do corporate branding is, is you know, a huge topic, but I think, you know, the teams that, you know, in, in talent acquisition and, um, you know, uh, in comms that look after those sorts of things have a pretty big uh, impact on uh, attracting talent um, because, you know, I think a lot of companies are, you know, that, you know, especially in tech, know that they have to have strong values and, and do have good values um, internally, but how you actually display those and make them clear to, uh, you know, candidates is, is kind of a different, uh, different beast sometimes. Um, so it requires investment is kind of the short answer, like investment in, you know, strutting your stuff basically publicly and, and making sure that people uh, believe that there is an, some kind of honest uh, and virtuous mission there um, that has an outcome that they align with. Um, and um, retention is kind of in the same vein, you know, it comes back to, you know, company beliefs and um, an alignment on mission. And, you know, uh, I think those are kind of the strongest uh, factors um, that impact both how you attract talent and how you retain it. No, I guess obviously that's how to attract and retain people. Just to finish off, because we've got a, a spare five minutes, how do you make yourself attractive as an individual? You know, everyone wants to be a high performer or to get into a high performing team. What are some elements, you know, I guess we can just go one, two, three, um, and everyone can name some. But what, if, if I was to go into technology today uh, with no technical skills, um, what, you know, attributes could I, I guess, get myself or where would you suggest that I would start to become, you know, a high performing individual? Such a such a hard question, actually. But <laughs> I think if I was to give one 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 part of the answer, I would say craft. Um, and so there, there, you have to be. There's something about you, some level of expertise is required in your craft. And so if your craft is being a, an amazing product manager, then you understand a lot about what makes up a product management, and you understand customers and markets. Like there's a whole breadth of things that you understand. And if it's a software engineer, and you're really early career. And it doesn't matter because if you learn that one thing that you're learning really well and you pick it up and then you can show like there's this level of real care that you've put towards it, then I think that's 
that's one of the the traits of like an individual that is working really well. And so often I'll see because I'll I'll see people and I've I've brought people into my team actually where I've seen that they're doing a completely different role. I, I saw as a quick example someone that was working in a branch. And so, because I'm working in banking and I'm working in technology, but, you know, you still occasionally will go visit a branch and, and sort out something with my credit card or whatever it was. And there was someone in there and they were doing an amazing job. And I'm like, how long have you been here? And he's like, oh, just a month. Like, because I know how complex these systems are. I'm like, how did you learn that in a month? And so uh, talking to him, you know, at long story short, He's now working in in uh, ANZ because we hired him into technology. Because uh, as it turns out, he had that background, and and so what what you see in someone is not necessarily are they amazing at the things that you need them to do in the future, is how good are the th you doing the things that you do now, um, and it doesn't really matter what exactly that is. It that just matters that you do it well. I think um, it's uh, one of the things that I personally love. Um, presenting myself with is honesty, sheer honesty. I uh, I am really good at, for example, mobile. I'm not very good at cloud technologies and I'm improving on that. That's where I bring my pure honesty that this is where I am. I want to learn. I am trying this, these, these things to improve on those skills, but being very honest and that sets up the right expectations. If you upsell yourself too much, that also isn't going to work. So that's where I um, I think that's how I like to present myself. And um, I like to see people um, or candidates presenting themselves as well. So, yeah. Um, I kind of bring, bring it back again to passion, but um, like wear your passion on your sleeve. Like I think um, there's nothing better than seeing someone that genuinely loves what they're doing, and you know, uh, sometimes that you know can manifest in you know personal projects. Sometimes that's just the way they talk about something. Um, but you know, I, th I think that's the sort of the number one thing, and and, and showing kind of a a personal commitment to learning and growth, I think, is is usually something that goes hand in hand with passion. But as well, if you, if you can kind of demonstrate that, I think that goes a long way because uh, I forget who mentioned it, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of the time, like you're not hiring for who they are that moment, you're hiring for what the potential is. Um, and um, if you can show that you can grow, um, that's often more valuable than someone that might have you know, potentially a higher set of skills in that moment. Um, but you know, you may potentially see less potential in. Um, so I, I think those are the mo like most important. And I mean, how you show your passion as well is something that's very unique to each individual. You know, again, you know, kind of if you're doing that honestly and and, and just like as you are, I think that's 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 as good as can be. You know, I. Earlier on in my career, I used to come uh, into interviews with a list of 10 things I would do immediately to improve uh, the business that I was coming into. Even if those weren't things that were to do with my role, um, just, you know, here is 10 things that I found that um, I would change like today. A lot of the time, you know, be silly things like, oh, we need to change the nav bar or something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would definitely have like, you know, kind of show that engagement and that care and that passion, you know, and, and kind of like a, uh, you know, un, unbridled kind of drive for, uh, for for the work and for the business and for the role that um, I'm, you know, seeking to, to place myself into. So, um, yeah, uh, I just want to underscore passion again. 
Yeah, I just want to build upon that as well. How did they react when you, you know, gave a list? Because obviously, um, you know, there's 10 things that you'd want to improve. You know, what was their reaction and, you know, was it positive or negative? And, and how did that actually, you know, what were the outcomes of those conversations? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I, I think it, it's definitely a a bold move, especially I think at the time I was positioning it not as here's the things I would want to improve, but here are the things you need to do like right now. <laughs> um, so, but it was also a way for me to personally filter, um, you know, what kind of business I wanted to work on. If you know, it tells a lot you a lot about kind of that open door leadership policy. If they're willing to actually hear those things out, even from someone who might be a bit more junior, um, and if they take those ideas seriously and are willing to engage with them, you know, that's probably a place where I want to work because that's a place where my thinking and, and my ideas are going to be heard and valued and uh, my voice will actually, you know, have a place there and it's not likely to be a feature factory or, you know, a place that I definitely don't want to work in. So, um, you know, it, it had that sort of, you know, Double-ended uh, uh, benefit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever, you know, obviously you've progressed through multiple roles. Did you ever get to change anything on that list that you brought in? <laughs> I did. Um, uh, I remember um, I, I did this when I was uh, joining uh, YNR as, as a tech lead. Um, I think uh, I, I kind of made it a mission, you know, in the first um, you know, a couple of months, I just tried to like knock off as much of that stuff as possible. I mean, like ultimately, you know, that list isn't actually things that you probably can do. Uh, sometimes, you know, you enter a business and you learn, these are the reasons why, you know, this exists. And so you can't also be too overeager. You know, if you get that role, don't just go steamroll everything because there's probably, you know, it's a cumulative effect of lots of other smart people in that business. <laughs> uh, sometimes things just might have been missed, and that's also okay. But um, yeah, my advice is don't just like don't, don't use it as a way to show your passion, not necessarily as a uh, a set of actions for your first couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Oh, I guess in terms of the conversation today, that will conclude. Uh, the podcast of obviously creating high performance teams so obviously want to thank the guests Rudy, Mike and Michael uh, thank you for your time uh, and your input as well uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out this morning to discuss this topic with me 